Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. Today on American Glutton, my guest is the one and only Dave Asprey, founder and chairman of Bulletproof. Through the Bulletproof diet, Dave has maintained a 100-pound weight loss and so much more. He's here with us today to talk about his new book, Fast This Way. You can find him at DaveAsprey.com. I emphasize the at, but it's just DaveAsprey.com. Please enjoy our conversation. Dave Asprey, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. I am happy to be here. Dave, 2007 or 8, I was in Bhutan, and I was every morning drinking this tea that was just the tea they served, and for sure noticing that I was not as hungry until, you know, lunch would come. And it was a a slightly odd culture because I I like meat a lot. They didn't eat a lot of meat. I had a hard time with that too. (laughs) Yeah, and then occasionally there would be beef and I'd be like, where'd you guys get this? And they said, we tricked a cow into jumping off a cliff and rationalized it in those ways, which I thought was hilarious. But a couple years, maybe even a year later, I heard you talking about this bulletproof coffee and tea stuff and I realized that was what we were drinking. Exactly. I I was watching these little Tibetans who look a lot like people in Bhutan. You know, they're half my height. I'm six four. You know, they're they're maybe not half, but they're really short. And these guys could lift three times what I could lift. They were like wearing a sweatshirt and it's 10 degrees below zero. I watched a guy who was showing off for one of the girls in our parties, young guy, he falls through ice in like a frozen river up to his waist wearing blue jeans. Okay. I'm trained in mountaineering. I'm like, that is hypothermia. That, that guy's going to die. <laughs> so I'm looking, I'm like, I, so I reach out, I had an extra parka and I give it to him and he looks at me and he takes the parka and he puts it in his little basket. He doesn't even, and I go, no, it's, and I'm, my motion was like, for you to put on, he's like, I'm not cold. And he just <laughs> keeps walking. And I'm like, this, this is Superman. But part of it is, I swear, it's that yak butter tea. Yeah. It's a magical stuff. I'm, and I had no idea that it was yak butter or anything. This was yeah. just the tea they gave us in the morning. Yeah. So I, I, I've been hip to you for a while because I was able to like make my own Americanized version of that here, and I had no idea what I was drinking until you started talking about it. So thank you. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you're not the only one who noticed it over there. Going, why do I feel no not hungry? Like, what's going on? Yeah, and there were there were a lot of like weird elevation issues that I experienced in New in Nepal, not drinking that stuff. That then in Bhutan just disappeared on, yep. on like day one or day two, and I was like, I'm not taking elevation medicine or anything, and all of the that weird stuff went away, and I feel better. You will, to this day, find Bulletproof Coffee at Everest Base Camp and people are summoning Everest. It, it is a regular part of a lot of climbing parties. Um, I think I figured out the reason. I funded some research at the University of Washington a few years ago because I was just really curious about basic water chemistry. And what you'll notice in Bhutan, they never just give you a scoop of butter and then you drink the, eat it and drink the tea. They always blend it, right? Yeah. When you blend butter fat or MCT oil in, uh, in water, 
it changes the structure of the water to be the same as the water that your body uses to make energy and work inside cells. It's called exclusion zone water. And you can see it on a microscope. This isn't like the you know water blessed by angels kind of thing. And it turns out the biggest exclusion zone they've ever seen comes from butter fat. And that's why if you blend bulletproof coffee, it works. And if you eat a stick of butter and drink a cup of coffee, it doesn't work. So when you drink water, your body puts the water next to your cell membranes, which are made of little bits of fat, and then it heats them with 1200 nanometer infrared light body heat. And after that happens, then you can use the water. But they're like, we have no food and we have no air. So let's just like structure the water outside the body. They will right. drink it and we won't be cold because we don't have to heat up the water to transform it. I think that's part of the hack. There's a bunch of other reasons, but Bulletproof Coffee, I mean, a couple hundred million cups, you've lost a million pounds on the Bulletproof diet. I'm pretty sure it works. Yeah, that's, and that's an awesome statistic. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so let's talk about biohacking. Will you define it just so the nomenclature is set? Sure. Biohacking, uh, the movement, when I started it, I wrote this definition. I like, really carefully chose each word, and it's the art and science of changing the environment around you and inside of you so that you have full control of your own biology. And, and that lets us unite you know, neuroscientists and bodybuilders and Navy SEALs and astronauts and all these different people who are working on you know, human consciousness. I want to be the smartest. I want to be the fastest. I just want a lot of energy. I want to be the most peaceful. All of that, or I just don't want to be anxious, whatever. Like All of that is, I just want my body to do what I want. And I think it's a basic human desire. Yeah, I think so too. I am... Um... I've been a, basically an amateur professional dieter for 20 years. I started at 550. I'm at 250 now. I've been as Dude. little. Yeah, I've lost a lot of weight. Congratulations, man. I mean, 100 pounds for me was life-changing, but 550, dude, you were fat. I was. Yes. <laughs> so was I. Like, yes, like, objectively like, fat. That's true. <laughs> And people yeah. get mad sometimes. Like, you can't say that someone was fat. I'm like, dude, I was fat. I can say whatever I want. I'll show you my stretch marks. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. I was looking at my uh, stretch marks on my arms today and going like, God, if I want to build muscle to to get those taut again, it's just not, I, I don't think it's in the cards for me. It, even if you did put on that much muscle, it would shorten your lifespan. Right. I would still yeah, you can be have a, too much muscle. Yeah, yeah. Obscenely heavy. Well, yeah. In, in fact- Talking to the guys who I've been, who've been programming my my workouts lately, they were like, "You can't do this forever. Like you can't, you can't just be as big as you are. You want to get to a, a lighter weight at some point." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I'm really it, happy with my size right now." It, it's a tough thing because a lot of times, if and I have no idea what you know your background is, but a lot of times, if, if someone has been bullied or otherwise abused. Right. And it, this is more common in women, right? Like, then women will put on a bunch of weight. I know I've like a thousand people come through my neuroscience facility. I've done a lot of personal development work and, you know, hang out with leaders in personal development, written books about it. So, um, this isn't a judgy sort of thing. This is a, this is what clinical, you know, uh, therapists will tell you. But you'll put on weight to make yourself feel safe. And you don't choose to do it. Like, it's your body automatically, I have to be safe. And there's something that might be a threat in this world and you're not thinking about it. Right. And so then you put on the weight. Other times it's purely metabolic, like you just you, you don't know. You know, there's emotional eating, and then there's like I'm always hungry because my body takes energy and makes me fat instead of making me energetic. And I probably had some of both of those, right? But then a lot of guys, they'll be like, I don't feel safe. So I'm gonna get real big or I'm gonna go into MMA because I don't feel safe. And if I can just beat the shit out of everyone around me and I'm like a wall of muscle, but you know, 
<laughs> right. Well, What's I like the, the shell the, and mugs? The downside yeah. is you're not safe for other can like you're you're giving yourself risk of of uh, succumbing to other things. Yeah, a lot of bodybuilders die in their fifties from heart attacks, and there's good studies. You know, too much protein in your diet is all is bad. Too little protein is bad. The wrong kind of protein is bad. So the idea is making it so your cells make tons of energy and they constantly replenish themselves, and that creates less physical anxiety. And then if there is an emotional component to eating, and there isn't always, right, then generally when the anxiety in the body comes down because you like, finally have enough energy, and then you're like, oh, okay, I, could, I have the energy to like deal with whatever stuff I need to deal with. And it's, it's a weird thing. No one taught me that. Like You got to get the cells working to get the emotions working because fixing emotions with cells that will make energy to fix the emotions is kind of a, a real tough hill to climb. Right, yes. I, I think if you're always fatigued and, and not feeling well, the emotion will follow that. That, that was me, man. Yeah. I have another question about safety since you've done research on this. Have you looked at like the Dutch hunger winter or the thrifty gene theory? And is there any way that that's just a physical mechanism trying to achieve safety? You're saying because your parents had uh, a famine or your grandparents that you then have that? There's definitely, an, it's epigenetics, which is like how the environment programs your genes. We know for sure that, you know, if, if your mom... Uh, exposed caloric deprivation before or during um, pregnancy that you're, it changes your genetic expression. It's probably stuff that you can turn off, but it takes careful work. And some of it, you know, it's a multi generational problem. And you, know, you do it right, your grandkids are going to thank you for it. Right. <laughs> you know, it takes a while to fix it. There were studies in mice where they even replicated that stuff. And there's definitely, I mean, it's a part of the human experience. And that's why, you know, traumatizing kids is particularly evil. And, and like, we have to be really careful to make sure that kids grow up in an environment where they feel safe. I'm a little bit concerned with, you know, taking, you know, four-year-olds and making them stay away and kind of fear contact with other four-year-olds. I, I don't know how the kids are going to respond to that. Cause like, this is a long-term thing. Like kids have to feel safe and, and, and warm and cared for and loved and make eye contact and all that. So I'm a little bit worried because there's real data around what you're talking about. Like I, yeah. I would never traumatize my kids. Yeah, no, I, 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 because I can't pick in my life uh, what what occurred to make me then feel the need to be larger. But I have that desire. Even today, I got down to almost 200 pounds and felt too small. And now I'm at 250 uh -huh. and very happy. There, there's something going on there. When I lost that hundred pounds, and I lost fifty of it pretty rapidly, the other fifty took you know ten years to figure to dial in all the bulletproof diet stuff. Like it's more than one variable and all. But when you lose a ton of weight rapidly, your body image is still that of a heavy person. So I caught myself. I'm walking down a hallway, and I would like step to the side because that's what I had to do when I was fat to make space for people. I'm like, wait, I, there was plenty of room without that. And it's, it's called your sense of proprioception, and it's your mind's picture of where your body is in space. And you had a rapid change in your body. So your image is still big, but your actual location in space is just smaller than it was. And it takes a little while to be comfortable in the size of body where you are. Yeah. And, and there's, there's some stuff around hunger set point too. Um, what I found is I didn't lose 100 pounds, I lost 200 pounds because you lose 20, gain 30, lose 30, gain 40, lose 40, gain 50. And that's because this cruel and nasty all you have to do is eat less and exercise more mindset. It never works long-term because ghrelin defines hunger. It's a hunger hormone. And your ghrelin is going to give you the hunger of the fat you. And you lose 25 pounds, you're still going to eat like you're, hung, like you're heavy. And the only thing that resets ghrelin 
to your current body weight is ketones. So if you were to fast or go on a ketogenic diet for a week, suddenly your hunger level is going to match your current body weight, even if you're not in ketosis. It's one of the reasons I just wrote my book on fasting, uh, which is, you know, uh, some part of that is like, oh, okay, here's, guys, here's how to fast. I'm going to write a whole fasting book for you right now. Step one, don't eat for a while. Step two, here's a bunch <laughs> of studies that say it's good for you. Done. All right. <laughs> but actually doing it is much harder. So I wrote when I fasted in a cave for four days. I had a shaman drop me off, no people and no food for 10 miles in any direction because I was afraid of being alone. And I was afraid of being hungry because they told me, Dave, you'll go into starvation mode if you don't eat six to eight times a day. And I'm like, I don't want to be in starvation mode. And my bigger fear was that I'd be hypoglybitchy because when I got hungry, I was like, <laughs> everyone around me was an asshole. And I'm like, you know, I didn't want to act like that. I, I wasn't proud of, of how I showed up in the world when I was hungry. So I was afraid that I'd be a jerk. I was afraid no one would like me. Right? And I was afraid that I'd starve. So I'm like, put me in a cave, no food, no people. And if I just totally lose it, what am I going to do? Like listen to my own echo? Right. Um, Yell at yourself. Yeah, exactly. So I, I wrote a book about that and like the psychology and like where the urges come from. And uh, it's it was cool because I didn't want to write yet another don't eat for a while. It's good for you book because that's, yeah. that's been done. Well, okay. For four days, do you have water? Are you bringing water? Yeah. A four day dry fast in the desert might be fatal. Yeah. That sounds <laughs> so, rough. I yeah. mean, listen, I, I've gone periods of, of time uh, not eating solid foods. I've done like 500 calories a day for a couple of months. I've done stuff like that. But yeah. I've never done, you know, I've not really messed around with intermittent fasting or or any of these like water only type fasts. Well, water only is for, well, do you know what a hair shirt is? No. So in the old days, there were certain kinds of monks that were like, we're such sinners that we're going to knit shirts out of human hair that's super itchy to wear. <laughs> and we're going to whip ourselves, self-flagellate self yeah. because we're such sinners. So I would say the the water fasting people are pretty much the equivalent of people who make hair shirts. Okay. And what they say is, well, the mouse studies were with water only. Therefore, you have to fast with water only. And I'm like, mice don't have espresso machines because if they did, they do what every spiritual tradition throughout the, the entire like world does during a fast. They have tea. Right. <laughs> or sometimes coffee, but usually tea. And the reason they do it is that the polyphenols, the colored compounds in tea, are actually good for you during the fast. And caffeine doubles ketone production during a fast, and ketones suppress hunger. So you can choose to suffer during a fast on water, or there's like three fasting hacks in the new book. And one of them is coffee doubles ketone production, it suppresses hunger. Great, you can do that, and then you can go to work and not be a jerk and actually like live. And then there's Bulletproof Coffee, and I have great evidence from multiple experts. If you put a little bit of butter and you blend it up the way we just talked about, it, you're not going to be cold during your fast because your body can now go into fat burning mode more easily. This was a major problem for me whenever my calories went really, really low, yeah. constantly chilled. And I'm yes. not, and it's very unusual because I, I, I'm used to sweating through two layers of clothing. Yeah. What's going on there is your thyroid's like, you don't have enough calories. I'm going to downregulate your thermostat. I'm going to turn down the body heat because I don't have enough. So one thing that helps is, yeah, you could blend. You don't have to have you know hundreds of calories. You can have just some. But Bulletproof Coffee doesn't raise insulin and it doesn't turn on protein digestion. So during a fast, never eat carbs, never eat protein. But you can have a little bit of fat. And then entering into that fasting mode is painless. And I see all these, these poor people like, like I was when I'm you know, trying to lose all this weight. You're struggling. You're dragging. Like I got a job, and now you got a job, and like kids hanging off of you at home, and 
you know, more stress than you had before, it's it's not a great way to lose a ton of weight to get started with that when you're likely to fail or just feel like crap. And so black coffee is number one, bulletproof coffee is number two. And the third hack that's never been talked about in the world of fasting before, but belongs there is prebiotic fiber. You can get up to 20 grams, which is what the, the government and a bunch of other experts say is the minimum necessary amount of food for good bacteria. It doesn't raise your blood sugar. You can't digest it. But the good gut bacteria you have digest it, and it suppresses hunger like no one's business. So you can literally wake up and be like, okay, black coffee, a little butter, some MCT oil, which raises ketones even more than caffeine. And then you put in some of this soluble fiber that has no flavor, but feeds the good guys in your stomach. Those are the good guys that make you thin. And then you drink that, and then you don't care about food for like eight hours for some people, or for five hours or six hours, however long it is. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I just did an intermittent fast, but it didn't make me suffer. And then the people are like, you should have only water. You should suffer. And I'm like, guys, pound sand. Like I have a life here. Right. right? Can, and, can we, uh, I'm sorry, can we, can yeah. you give me examples of prebiotic fiber? Is this a, a pill? Is it like cabbage? What it's is a, it? It's a powder you can just put in there. And there's a bunch of companies make it. I make one for Bulletproof. I'm not here to sell Bulletproof stuff. I mean, I might talk about it. There's a reason, you know, I built the company because I couldn't buy the stuff. The one I make is called Inner Fuel by Bulletproof. And the primary type of fiber that you'll find in formulas like this is called acacia gum. It's the sap of a tree that feeds good bacteria. And it's not like Metamucil or like sawdust kind of, you know, I want to have big poop <laughs> sort of thing. Right. I, I mean, that's what goes. I was saying. I'm, I'm used to psyllium husks. That's a yeah. fiber source if I'm not eating vegetables or not enough vegetables. Yeah, you can use psyllium, although there's some evidence that psyllium is pretty rough on the lining of the gut. So okay. I, tip, I typically don't use that one. Um, you can get... Uh, fennel seed fiber, which is a better choice if you need bulk fiber. Okay. But what I'm talking about for fasting is just feeding the good guys with soluble fiber or prebiotic fiber, as it's called. There's hydrolyzed guar gum you can use. Um, there's uh, uh, large arabinogalactin is another one that I, I use in the formula that I made. So the purpose of this fiber is to just give the bacteria food. Not It's not like yep. a scrub brush or how I think of broccoli. Yeah, no scrub brush at all. It's just to feed the bacteria. Because when bacteria get stressed, um, what they do is they make something called lipopolysaccharide, and it crosses the gut bound the gut ba- uh, gut barrier, enters the blood supply, affects the brain, and affects systemic inflammation. So you feel like crap. And when they're stressed, they're like, "I got no food here. I'm stressed. Make more toxin." And then you feel like garbage, and you get even more food cravings. And this is a way to be like, "All right, guys, you eat. I'm not going to eat right now. Could you, after you eat, could you poop out some butyric acid, which is also ketogenic?" And that's what they do. And then like everybody wins. So um, this is like the idea that you can get the metabolic benefits of fasting, including weight loss, including mental clarity, including anti aging, but you don't have to suffer. And after you do that for a while, you shift your metabolism, you shift the structure of your cells, and then you wake up one morning and you're like, "I just don't need that. I'll just have black coffee." Right? And then you'll say, oh, maybe tomorrow I won't have black coffee. But why would you ever wake up and not have coffee? It's good for you. In all kinds of studies, it makes you live longer. Really? So give up kale and drink coffee. Oh, yeah. Just okay. search for coffee and aging. And you'll find like all kinds of crazy research. That's amazing. At the end of the day, I have struggled so much and I have done so many evolutions of the yo-yo. But I, I do agree that when I found something that was workable over the long term – it wasn't hard. It certainly wasn't hard comparatively to 500 calories a day just as a baseline and and not to, you know, that was miserable. You you and I know the the willpower. I I used to just say, look, fat people are willpower athletes. Like we have mirrors, they don't need scales. Like we know we're fat and we would do anything to not be fat. And every day you look at the food, like I'm not going to eat it. 
And sometimes you win, sometimes you don't, but man, you're always hungry and it's always there and you're just always holding the line. And uh, I mean, anyone who's been fat like that, you and me included, like you got to have compassion for fat people. They're not choosing this, right? There's biological stuff and sometimes emotional stuff, but the emotional stuff will lead to biological stuff and you have a hardware problem, right? And you fix the hardware problem, you can resolve the emotional problem. And I just, uh, I have so much compassion because I, man, I spent so much time and so much suffering just like that. I go in this 400 calorie a day thing even when I was like maybe 17, it's called the Cambridge diet. It was the first low calorie drink, like way before Slim Fast and all. And man, I could lose the weight and it would always come roaring right back. But yeah. I remember like working at this warehouse and I was like, I was like hallucinating because I had 400 calories and it's, you know, 95 degrees. And I'm putting auto parts in boxes and I'm just like, oh, but I'm going to do it. And it, just, it wasn't really being nice to my body, but you know, it's what they told me to put work. I was, I was put on OptiFast at 10 years old. Uh, yeah. 35 years ago and I was the only child I we would do like group therapy talking about food cravings and stuff and would sit around and these yeah. were all adults and I'm doing it but I will tell you I loved it because I was losing weight you know and and none of these other diets did I really lose weight a, a, as noticeably yeah so I didn't hate it and like the whole thing like like you're saying to your point yeah suffering pain discomfort these are all part and parcel to being overweight. And so mm-hmm. you put me on a diet, it's just a different type of discomfort. I'll do anything if it's working. I, I also think very valuably uh, to, to what you said is, for me in my life today, having had success with dieting and being at the place where I'm at, it is just a matter of willpower. It is just a matter of deciding what I'm going to do and doing it. But saying that to somebody in a state where they're, a 500-pound person or a 350-pound person just saying, like, well, just toughen up is the most disingenuous thing I think you can do. So, so you still think it's a matter of willpower? For me today, I mean, listen, I'm also a sober person. And so yeah. I, I go through life and I'll have thoughts pop into my head that I have to disregard or go like, well, that's not going to get me to where I want to go. So in that sense, it is a constant conversation with myself. Not constant, but it is periodically throughout the day. McRib is back. I see the sign for McRib, and I have the thought, I would like to have a McRib. And then I go, how am I going to feel after the McRib? Not great. Okay, I'm not having it. So it's, But it's, this, is, this is turned way down from what it was 15 years ago. What I predict is going to happen is that at a certain point, your body is going to learn to not identify those as food. Right. And, and then you look at those and you're like, not food. And like, you could look at, you know, a, a shovel and then you don't get hungry because like, it's not food. It's just not compatible with my biology. And then, you know, I look at things that are food. I'm like, okay, I could eat that. Uh, and I usually don't have cravings for them. But uh, for me, I had to kind of religiously go through and turn off the the cravings and most of the cravings that I had were caused by what I was eating. Yeah. Uh, so I went through this this time when I first realized that carbs were a problem. It's kind of Atkins diet phase, but I'd done a lot of research in the '90s and there was evidence for having a cheat day. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll do a cheat day. And so Friday night's my cheat day. You know, a loaf of crusty French bread with my dinner, and I'm like, yeah. And the next day I was okay, and then Sunday I was mostly okay, but Monday I was a zombie, and it took me a, a time to figure out that I would have cravings for five or six days after my cheat day. Yeah. And when I quit eating bread on my cheat day, my cravings didn't happen at all. So there's all these trigger foods. And that actually led to the Bulletproof Diet where I tried, I'm like, these foods always are bad for you and cause cravings. 
these foods are suspect foods because for some people it causes cravings, for others you're fine. And then these foods pretty much never cause cravings and you can eat those. And once I got that dialed in, I don't really have cravings anymore. I mean, it's ridiculous. So for me, it isn't willpower because I, I don't see non-food as, as food and I don't eat stuff that makes me crave. Yeah. But I had to get all that sorted out. It took a while. Yeah, I, 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 this is a great analogy too because with drugs and alcohol, you know, I, I recognized over, and it was a few years battling this out, but a glass of wine or a sip of wine or a beer is going to lead me down a, a path that I can't yeah. be on. So that is a, a all or nothing no-go. Food is way trickier because we don't just quit eating. This is not a black or white issue. This is not a like yep. I give up food, although I sometimes had wished, I wish I could just stop eating. Although now I realize that would be very boring and I, I enjoy eating. But I, yes, I agree with what you're saying. The level of willpower that it requires for me today is nothing compared okay. to what it was. It's not a so struggle. Oh, yeah. for sure, for sure. Like Good. I can go wine tasting with my wife. I taste olive oil. Most of the wineries produce olive oil also. And I, and I don't feel any urge at all to drink alcohol. Once in a while, the McRib advertisement sparks a little desire, but it's very easily pushed aside. I, I feel you on that one. It's been a long time since I had a McRib. I know, me too. Yeah. I haven't had one in, I haven't had, I mean, honestly, it's I might like rather have years. a Big Mac. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd go for the double Western bacon cheeseburger. This onion rings are pretty stupidly good on a, on a, <laughs> but same thing. Like I don't eat fried stuff. I, I don't eat seed oils ever. Like, like they're just bad for you. And, you know, the whole bulletproof thing is eat more saturated fat, you'll be more full and it's more compatible with your cells and don't eat seed oils because there's none of those in nature to speak of. So you end up eating, you know, grass-fed stuff and butter and, and a rich diet, rich in the right fats and the right proteins and good amount of veggies, but not the ones that make you hungry. Like a lot of people, you know, bell peppers are going to trigger food cravings. You just don't know it or potatoes. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wow, you know, I, 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 it makes me really happy as a dad my daughter and she, she's maybe 10, and she like, comes up and she goes, Daddy, as soon as I get to school, the teachers are starting to talk about a snack, and then we have a snack, but we just started school. Like, don't the other kids have breakfast? And I'm like, well, yes. You're having smoked salmon and avocado for breakfast from Costco. You know, it's, it's an affordable breakfast for kids. You know, one pack of that lasts for, you know, a week or two. And, you know... Uh, but they're they're having you know ask your friends. She's like, oh, my friend has a green apple for breakfast. I'm like, you eat a green apple, you're going to want to eat a cheesecake when you're done. Green apples don't fill you up at all. So it, it's a matter of like eating properly so that you don't have. The, and it, I'll just tell anyone listening: if you're hungry after you eat, something's wrong with what you ate. Right. It, it's it's just what it is. The the other thing though, I got fat when I was young too. Not quite as fat as you. It sounds like. Um, but certainly in my teens, I was, you know, the triple ripple stomach and, you know, becoming self-conscious of that and all. And what I found out much later in life is that I was living in a basement that had toxic mold. And toxic mold makes these things called xenoestrogens that are about a thousand times as estrogenic as estrogen. Estrogen makes you fat. This is why women are soft, right? That's why they have, you know, hips and butts and things like that. And when you have excess white adipose tissue, and there's lots of body fat, it makes estrogen as well. And there's a really interesting thing that the cattle industry does. They figured out that they could take this, this mold toxin, that, that's that estrogen, it's called zeralanol, and they could make 
a little, they could concentrate it and put it in a little waxy pellet and they stick it in a cow's ear and it melts into the ear, enters the bloodstream. And now, ready for this? The cow gets fat on one third less calories. Really? Okay. Now, if that is possible, this calories in, calories out is complete garbage. Okay. It's hormonal. And then, of course, you, then that gives them lots of marbled flesh. There's fat everywhere in that stuff. Well, then they can sell that, right? Because it's nice and mushy flesh. <laughs> Unfortunately, is there still estrogen in there? Uh, probably. But if you're getting environmental mold, it's a major thing for obesity. And it's also a trigger for stretch marks. It's one of the reasons I have so many stretch marks. So then like, oh, did you grow up in a house that had water damage? If so, that can contribute to obesity in a massive way that no one talks about. Oh, wow. I had no idea that that, like, I want to have my house checked for mold right now because I, I, I want, I don't want anything working against me. Well, I mean, you would, do other people in your house just have, you know, weird stuff they didn't used to have? No. Okay. I mean, if you've never had water damage, you don't, you've never had a leak behind the dishwasher and, you know, you're, there's stuff growing around your windows, that's probably not it, right? But the house you grew up in might have had some issues with that. And when kids have ADHD and asthma and rashes and behavioral disorders and nosebleeds and, yeah, stretch marks, uh, especially when it's happening, uh, lots of strep throat and sinus infections in multiple people in the family, I'm always like, guys, test your air. Like, it's totally worth doing because it's 100 million homes have this. It's such a big deal. I, I did a documentary. It's called, uh, called Moldy, moldymovie.com. It's free to watch it. Uh, and I spent like almost probably 200 grand on filming this thing because like, it messed me up as a kid. It was one of the many things that contributed to my obesity. And it's, no, it's just not fair. If you're getting this estrogen in the air you breathe and you're getting fat on a third less calories than all your friends and then you think it's your fault, <laughs> like, it's, just not, it's just not fair. Right. 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 Yeah. No, I was always somewhat jealous of the kids who, you know, my, my, my mom was into every kind of health craze and I was on every diet as a kid. And the only one that I remember enjoying was Optifast because I saw results right away. Everything else was just kind of like, I'm the weird kid at school with sandpaper while everybody else is eating pretzels and salami. Mm -hmm. But uh, the feeling that, and, and I get this sometimes too today where I see somebody's ability to eat kind of whatever they want and it not seemingly have an effect on them, that is, that is a heavy uh, deterrent to like what's the point in anything if, if I don't get to do that too, you know? There's a name for those people there. They're the bad people. Right. No. <laughs> I call oh, them look. normal people, and we in <laughs> sobriety call anybody who can drink normal also. I hear what you're saying, but but it's actually not normal anymore. 42% of people in the U.S. are obese. Right. Right. So what's happening there is that you really ought to be able to eat the right foods and not gain weight. And as I was developing the Bulletproof Diet, which was my first really big book, I mean, I I, I tested this stuff really hard. I ate 4,500 calories a day, every day. I stopped exercising and I cut my sleep to five hours or less per night. And what I was going to do was do that for a month. I was going to gain three pounds. And say, guys, I ate enough calories to gain 20 pounds. So this calories in, calories out is just BS. But what I did is I lost weight. And I did this for like a year. And eating extra calories is bad for you. It's not advisable. But I was like, I'm starting a company. I'm burning this energy. I just feel good. And I grew up. Right. And I would have probably grown him faster and better if I just had, you know, 3,000 calories, which is my basal metabolic rate. And, uh, and, and that brings up something else too. 
No, you're still pretty heavy. I'm still pretty heavy, right? I mean, I'm heavy, I have about 12% body fat, but I'm still 210 pounds because I'm a tall guy. I got muscle and I have these tree trunk legs that don't fit in vegan sized pants. And, you know, <laughs> it's genetic, right? You know, and it's genetic. Like I have strong legs. I can squat more than most people without even training. And, you know, pros and cons go with that. I'm not a rock climber, right? But when people are like, oh, let's be fair and let's put the same amount of food on everyone's plate, I'm like, that is a 90 pound Asian woman. And she got the same amount of food as me. And I literally have three times her basal metabolic rate. And like, yeah. I need a plate full of food or I will be constantly hungry all the time. So I have no shame about eating the right amount for my body. I'm like, yeah, I'm eating three or whatever those are. And I'll go to a restaurant. I'm like, I'll take two. And they're like, what do you mean two? I'm like, yes, I want two of your little three ounce filet mignons because you're a fancy restaurant. And I know I'm going to be broke when I'm done. Put it all on the same plate because I want to be full when I'm done. Otherwise, I don't want to eat. <laughs> and then you just, you just do it. You, yeah, the, that that has always, and I've done so many diets where me and my wife are eating the exact same stuff and she's literally smaller than half my size. And yeah. and it's just like, this doesn't, at the end of the day, make any sense at all. Let's go back to fasting because I, I want to talk to you about this. For me, I'm glad we've sorted that caffeine is okay, but I do, I do have a buddy who first went vegan in attempt to lose weight wasn't losing weight, then did intermittent fasting, was still cramming so much stuff into his eating window that he then had to do like restrictive eating within that window. And so what you're talking about is not just like a four-hour period every day and other than that, we're drinking water. Uh, no. In fact, for a lot of people, that doesn't work if you have a life. And if you're on a plant-based diet, it probably doesn't work. I was a raw vegan for quite a while, right? I kind of fell for that plant-based trap. And there's something called a vegan trap that's really important to understand. It's the same as the keto trap, and it's the same as the fasting trap, and it's a basic human behavior, okay? If if you decide I'm going to go vegan like I did, I was already at, pretty, at a pretty good weight, but I lost weight and I got all this energy. I'm like, yeah, it feels so good. Okay, once you do something for six weeks, it becomes a habit and you become convinced that it works because you saw it work. And this is your new lifestyle. You actually become a little bit evangelical about it. You become like that screeching vegan that we all know. And when you, you do that, like, okay, great. But then what really happened is you stopped eating animal fats and you started eating plant fats, which you're not made of. As the, the ratio of fats in your cells change, your cells become weak and the body freaks out. So it turns up the thyroid temporarily, which gives you extra energy. So like, it's giving you energy to find food that isn't just plants, right? And then you're, you're sitting there going, I feel really good. And then after six weeks, I'm a little bit tired. I'm a little, my joints are starting to hurt. Oh, maybe I'm developing autoimmunity. Maybe my teeth start hurting. Maybe my teeth start cracking. Maybe my hair gets thin. All of these happened to me, right? It, it took me like a year to figure out, oh my God, what used to work for me doesn't work anymore. And then it took me several years to recover my health from it. And I have tens of thousands of people on the Bulletproof Diet who are recovering plant-based eaters, right? Are plants good for you? I don't know. It depends on the plant. Go out in your backyard, pick a random plant, eat it, and tell me if it's good for you. You'll right. either die, throw up, have cramps. Like most plants are covered in poison. And the ones that eat are also a mix of nutrients and anti-nutrients. And I just teach people to eat the ones that have more nutrients and very few anti-nutrients because then you feel good or at least prepare them properly. So you're like, okay, well, that didn't work, the plant-based thing, because you're always hungry on a vegan diet, right? And But it looks so good. You know, I made a fake cheesecake that was full of sugar and some plant fats. And I ate it. In fact, I ate the whole plate of cheesecake and I'm still hungry. 
So maybe I'll have some kale. And like, that was gross, but I'll do it some more. And, and like, you're always thinking about food and you're preparing these amazing vegan dishes that never fill you up because they don't contain butter. <laughs> they don't contain animal fats. They don't have enough protein. And they also contain things that block your absorption of minerals called okay. phytates. So then you say, all right, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go keto. Okay. You go to a typical Atkins diet conference or the early low carb people. And I remember I spoke at a conference and it was kind of sad because there's a bunch of people like you. You're like, I weighed 550, I weighed 350. And like, it's awesome. I lost 200 pounds on keto. But I've been on a plateau for two years. And I know it's because I ate 15 grams of carbs. If I could just get down to 10 grams of carbs, then I would be more keto. And then I would start losing weight again. But no, what's going on is you went keto and you're eating artificial sweeteners that make gut bacteria that make you fat. And you ate the wrong kinds of fat and you're eating a lot of pork rinds, which are inflammatory. So now you've got an inflammation problem, not necessarily a fat storage problem. So then you got to get through that because keto works, but you got to go in, out, in, out, in, out, which is what the Bulletproof approach does. And then you get into fasting, which is becoming all the rage now. And what I I think would be good for you, uh, when people buy Fast This Way, my new book, I'm spending two weeks doing uh, teaching the book to people starting January 19th. You buy it now and the, the course starts then where I walk you through an intermittent fast using the things that turn off hunger and I teach you what to eat to not be hungry later, when to do what. And it actually ends in a spiritual fast. We're like, okay, I am going to choose to actually feel the hunger and look at the psychology and you know do the, the heavy lifting on personal development. But the rest of the time is like, how do I do this and fit it into my life without feeling hungry and hangry and all that kind of stuff? Um, fastestway.com is the URL for that. Just buy the book, send me your receipt, you're in. And what, what you, you can do with fasting, and I see this a lot, women hit the wall before men do. And it doesn't even really matter your weight. You're like, okay, this intermittent fasting is awesome. I just get breakfast and then I'm feeling good, I'm losing weight. So I'm going to skip breakfast and lunch, right? It's called OMAD, one meal a day. And I can do that without pain, without any effort whatsoever now because my metabolism is very flexible, better than I've ever been. But if I do that every day, it, you hit the wall. It takes you about four to six weeks as a man, maybe even eight weeks. First thing, your sleep goes away. Like you just wake up, like, I don't feel like I slept very well. And if you measure your sleep on a ring like I do, um, you're like, oh, that's weird. I woke up a bunch. I don't remember it. And then you're like, oh, there's no kickstand when I wake up. Right? And then you're like, oh, my hair's getting thin. Right? This is how it cleans for women. It happens sooner. Like, oh, my sleep was ruined. Oh, my monthly cycle doesn't work right anymore. And then, oh, my hair is thinning. This is over fasting. Right? So all of these diets, it's like, you know, okay, fine. You want to be vegan for a couple of weeks? Do it. It's probably good for you. You just don't need a high-fat vegan diet because there are no good vegan fats. right? But do that. Fine. But make sure you go back and eat the grass-fed stuff, not the conventional stuff with antibiotics and hormones in it. And you can, you can move around. But I just don't want people to fall into the keto trap, the vegan trap, or the fasting trap. That's why I wrote the, this latest book because I, I see it coming. There's a lot of people, I'm a keto bro. If you eat one gram of carbs today, you're a bad person. And you're like, dude, you're so heading for the wall. Your like, cheese don't has carbs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you nailed it. I mean, listen, I've done the keto bro pork rinds and, and yeah. fondue as, you know, hot 7-Eleven hot dogs, not even realizing those are full of carbs too. But yeah. I would not lose weight doing that. I had to basically go super strict keto and... I don't even know if it's super strict keto, but it would be chicken thighs and broccoli. And even that, I would have to restrict a little bit of food because I can overeat that. And what that is, that's a low-fat, high-protein diet, which is in keto. And that's the worst diet you can do. It's what they used to do 
first it was you have to do carb loading. It was like the 80s, which is really bad if you want to lose weight. But then like, oh, it must be a high protein diet. But when you have to burn protein to make energy, it makes a ton of ammonia in the body that's inflammatory. It makes you feel bad. It creates a big load on the kidneys and someone on the liver. And so the, the bottom line is we run best on the right kinds of fat with moderate amounts of high quality protein and some veggies uh, for fiber. And when you get that right, man, you're just never hungry, right? But then if you eat veggies that trigger hunger, <laughs> I found out my, my favorite food on earth is uh, hot peppers. They're a member of the deadly nightshade family. I have the genes and they cause rheumatoid arthritis. I eat those, my knee pain comes back. The arthritis, uh, the arthritis I had when I was 14 was caused by plants. I want to know, you said you have a list of bad vegetables and good vegetables. I'm dying to know if you could synopsize that for me. Yes. Uh, the vegetables that are the biggest problem are raw spinach and any form of kale. And Wow, my, my, kale. Oh, kale is so bad for you. How, how did it be? But by the way, kale was not such a thing when we were kids. And then like I blinked a couple of years ago and kale is everywhere. Yep. Here's what happened. Kale is garnish, like at the cafeteria. They put it between the food to make it look pretty. Right. Okay. Now, everyone knows you don't eat kale. I, I live on a small farm. We actually are building soil, and we have a, about a, between 12 and 20 pigs and 12 and 20 sheep on the property. You know, grass-fed everything, pasture-raised. The pigs spit out kale. <laughs> they just won't eat it. Horses won't eat it either. Here's why. I mentioned, you know, plants don't want to get eaten. They hate it when we eat them. They hate it when we eat their babies. So they cover themselves in toxins, right? And in the Bulletproof Diet, there's five kinds of toxins that cause cravings and inhibit weight loss. And the first one is, is called lectins. And these are, uh, it's a type of protein that sticks to, to carbs that line the cells in your body. And lectins aren't all bad. Your body makes them on board. Like they're a common biological molecule. But when a plant uses lectins as its defense system, you get inflammation. And any member of the nightshade family, potatoes, tomatoes, eggplants, bell peppers, uh, and any kind of spicy pepper, including cayenne and paprika, um, those have large amounts of these. About a third of people, they will make you inflamed, they'll give you food cravings, and they'll cause joint pain. They'll cause muscle tension. And for the other third of people, they're okay. They actually have some good vitamins in them too. But we have this weird thing where you should eat a banana because it's packed with potassium. And you're like, there's a couple hundred milligrams of potassium in there, but it's full of carbs, right? And it's the same logic that's like, here's a bowl of cyanide, but I put a multivitamin in there, so it's full of vitamins. And they just ignore the downside of what's in there. And I'm like, first, let's minimize the downside and then find what has good stuff in it. And maybe that's just more rational. So the nightshades are a big problem. And all grains, except for white rice, because we remove the outside of it, um, tend to have very high levels of these. And they also have the second of these lectins, so whole wheat is not as good for you as white flour and they're both bad for you because they contain gluten and a glutenin and zonulin and a bunch of other stuff. So you, maybe you tolerate them. It doesn't mean they're good for you. It doesn't mean you'll lose weight. It doesn't mean they won't cause cravings. It just means you can eat them. And from there, there's phytates. And any kind of plant-based diet, any high protein, whatever, beans, <laughs> for every gram of protein in there, there's enough phytate, phytate or phytic acid. Phytic acid's job is to keep you from absorbing zinc and all of the other minerals that your body needs. So if you eat very many of these things, you will become mineral deficient and you will die. <laughs> Your health will go down and then you'll stop eating this plant. And it'll be like, see, I got you. So when people tell you to eat a whole foods, especially a whole foods raw diet, it's like, 
like I see it, is like failure to do the math. And then the third thing that's an issue for a lot of people is histamine. So you like to eat a lot of leftovers, especially leftover pork, leftover fish, and leftover tofu, which is not really food anyway for most people. Um, those are all very high in histamine, which is a neurotransmitter in addition to causing allergies, and it'll give you profound cravings. So this just means if you cook something and then put it in the fridge, the histamines go up? They go up substantially. The, the next day, most foods are okay, except for fish and pork, most likely. You, you just freeze them and then eat it. But if you put it in the fridge and it's three days old, I promise you, you're going to feel worse after you eat it than if you'd eaten it the first day. Because a braised short ribs taste better the next day, in my the opinion. The next day, they taste better. But if you wait three days, or oh, they still smell good, they still taste good. Right. Probably, in fact, I'd say you're certainly going to get a higher amount of histamine. Some okay. people handle it better than others, but it's going to give you cravings. So that's another one of the toxins. And then you get these things called myco or mold toxins. These grow on certain plants in the field and they grow on certain plants when they're in storage. Uh, nuts and grains and things like that. Coffee is a major trigger for that. That's why my coffee's lab tested. It's fermented differently to avoid that. Uh, but this is the thing that causes cravings and some of those are highly estrogenic. So you eat that and you're like, man, I, I thought I handled whatever that food was. Well, I ate it that other day and I didn't feel good. And I ate it the day after I ate it, it as a different batch and I felt fine. Well, it has to do with how the food's prepared and how it's stored. And then with kale, and this is when I, I was on the Joe Rogan show and he was telling everyone, do these green kale smoothies. And I'm like, Joe, like, let me walk you through the science of this. It's called oxalic acid. And it's what makes stinging nettles sting actually is oxalic acid. So it's in there. And when you eat it, it goes into your body and it finds calcium in your blood and it forms tiny little crystals. They get stuck in your joints. They get stuck in your kidneys. They go to your brain. They go to your vulva if you're a woman. There's a condition called vulvodynia. And oxalic acid actually is inflammatory. It's even tied to autism in some early research. And so what's going on here is people are saying, I'm going to eat kale, and then they're inhibiting their kidney function. They think they're getting vitamin K, but it's vitamin K1 that doesn't do anything in the body. You need vitamin K2. That comes from fermented butter. <laughs> but or maybe from natto if you like like stinky mucus like uh, soy dishes that's another source of K2 but uh, what ends up happening is we just don't have uh, you know good good science on this so you know Joe uh, I think pretty pretty famously decided that he was going to um, uh, financially back a competitor bulletproof so he's you know, tried smearing what I was saying and then just this year he's like I had to quit eating kale smoothies because of the oxalic acid. I'm like, dude, six years ago I told you six years, right. right? But the other thing that kale does is it absorbs thallium, which is a very toxic heavy metal, and they used to use it to poison people in Russia because it's hard to detect. When we took lead out of gasoline, guess what we put instead? Thallium, which is a thousand times more toxic than lead. And kale naturally sucks the stuff out of the air; it cleans it up. And then you eat the kale, and your thallium levels go up. So you're like, I got heavy metal poisoning. And I got basically little crystals going throughout my body wreaking havoc because I ate my kale salad. Like, screw the kale salad. It's just not okay. I have eaten kale, but I never fell onto the kale bandwagon simply because I could see how much marketing was happening. And I don't, I, I just thought somebody accidentally overproduced kale and had to sell it to us. And then it took no. off like wildfire. And the, I was like, the kale, mar kale Marketing Association spent $6 million to create the trend. That's amazing. They've, they've awesome. they won, dude. Yeah, they totally did, they but they're won. losing now. The like, celery people, are... people came and tried to beat them, and, and that didn't last long. I, I remember yeah. there was like a run on celery at our grocery store for a while, and, and you'd see the people who would buy like 10 heads of celery to juice it every day. Yeah, that was the medical medium did that. And uh, I, you know, 
I, from what I understand, he's a real spiritual guy. I haven't interviewed him yet. Um, but like his nutritional advice is like straight up 1970s dogma. I just, I can't imagine that comes from angels because uh, the angels that I know would never do that to people. Right. <laughs> I've been having this weird idea in my head and it's not science-based or anything. I, I do think about things in a strange way sometimes. And when I think about how plants develop their way to stay, you know, they develop poisons like you're talking about. And so a lot of them are hard to digest and whatever the animals had going for them, we've destroyed that too because we're not actually physically hunting anymore. Does that have any effect today on an animal? Like, does it change anything in the... The, the makeup the, of the animal? Yeah, and the way we digest yeah. it, the fact that it's not it being chased? Well, the, the chasing of the animal increases stress hormones and is generally not good. Okay. Um, you don't want to eat a highly stressed animal. So the very best hunters, you take one shot, you know, you sever the carotid artery, you hit them in the heart, and they die quickly and painlessly. But an animal that you had to chase through three valleys is not going to taste as good or be as healthy because you actually absorb the stress hormones from the animal. Okay. And like in a Buddhist or something, I'm going to tell you, you know, clean death matters. And the other thing is wild animals and grass-fed animals eat what they're supposed to eat, and they make good fats. And if you're eating a farmed animal, they make bad fats. Right. And like literally, you feed them corn and soy, that's what's in their fat. If we eat corn and soy, that's what's in our fat. And it makes our fat dysfunctional. And there's something else too that's that's not well known. And this is coming from work that uh, Terry Cochran, a physician uh, who does a wildetarian diet, brought to light. And there's something called amyloids, which are these toxic misfolded proteins. And when we create industrially raised animals, they have lots of amyloid, which is inflammatory. They have bad fats, the animal suffers, and it destroys soil. So I'm like, if you want to live now, don't eat conventionally raised beef, especially. It's just bad for you. It's bad for the animals, bad for the planet. There's nothing in there that's good. And if instead you're like, I'm going to eat half as much meat, but I'm going to eat grass-fed meat, you're not getting amyloid, you're getting good fats, and you're building soil. And since you're going to live for a long time because now you're eating this way, you want to be in a world with enough soil. Trust me on that because soil is our biggest carbon sink. Right. Amazing. And that's why Bulletproof Diet's all about grass-fed or nothing. Right. You got to eat that. Okay. Well, I can't wait to read your, your fasting book. And I like that it's a different approach than just like, here's your four hours a day. Or nah. d just drink water until you can't survive anymore. Don't, don't do that. I mean, I, I did write something a while back on the blog. It's called the Rapid Fat Loss Protocol on DaveAsprey.com. And it's like how to lose weight faster than you're supposed to lose weight. And... I had a guy lose 75 pounds in 75 days on the diet. Wow. I mean, it, it, it can be done. But here's the thing that keep no it one's... off? Yeah. Wow. Because of, of the power of ketones to reset your ghrelin levels. I mean, I've kept my weight off reliably for, you know, for years, like a decade. And without being hungry, without a lot of willpower involved. The interesting thing, though, is when you lose fat rapidly, inside your fat, your body is storing pesticides, it's storing estrogen, it's storing heavy metals, and other environmental persistent pollutants. So if you lose 10 pounds in a week, it's probably water. But if you lose 10 pounds a week for several weeks, you're losing some fat like crazy, right? And all the toxins in that fat are going to hit the liver, hit the kidneys, and hit the brain. You're going to feel like you got hit by a truck. So part of what I wrote in Fastest Way is I'm like, here's the supplement stake during a fast, during rapid weight loss, so that you don't get, let these toxins get into your brain. So you can actually bind them in the gut and just poop them out instead of just constantly bathing in them. Because the more you do that, the less energy you have, less energy equals less willpower, less willpower equals, I just ate the McRib. <laughs> you don't right. want to do that. Right. 
Yes, and it is well marketed, that McRib. It sure is. Amazing. Dave, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and your knowledge. And uh, this was a really fun conversation. Thank you. Hey, congrats on losing the weight you've lost and being on, on the path you're on and just being transparent about it. It takes, it takes a lot of courage to do that. And uh, people who haven't been fat don't know what we're talking about. It, it's a real thing. And I, I love the way you're just real open about it. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Talk to you again. Talk to you again. Bye. And now for the Q&A. Okay, I have a question for you from Chris. Chris. Chris is 6'2 and 340 pounds. He said that he has found the inspiration by listening to your podcast, and he's so grateful that you're sharing with the listeners what your stories are, your outlook, and how you've managed your weight loss journey. So he says, that being said, my question for you is, I'm going to do a full liquid diet to start off with. And I was simply wondering- well, How much does he weigh? 340. Uh, okay. Okay. He says, I was simply wondering what types of food or beverages I need to ingest to be successful doing this diet and what foods did you tend to eat to help you be more successful? Yeah, I did this. Listen, Chris, I don't know what your body composition is like at 340. I would not, this would not be the thing that I would recommend to myself at 340. Myself at 340, I was looking really for, to lose 75 pounds and maintain all the muscle that I had. Now that doesn't have to be what you want to do. Maybe you want to be 180. Maybe you want to be 150. I, I don't know. 6'2", you're pretty tall. You're taller than I am. If you've got, if you want to retain muscle, I would not recommend doing a liquid diet. That said, I can't stop you from doing a liquid diet. I, I think a liquid diet is for somebody. It made sense to me in my rationalization of having done this. It still makes sense that I did it at 550. I had so much weight to lose and I wanted to get blast off a big chunk of it. And I, I don't regret doing it. I would not, I would never suggest to myself at my 340 to do a liquid diet. It's just not something I would do. And I don't suggest it to other people who have a similar body composition to me at that weight as it being something to do. I understand the desire to do something radical. You know, if it's that you have so much confusion with food and you feel so like your responsibility is so low that you need to do something so radical, okay, then remove food, do protein shakes, and get enough calories so that you're not in such a severe deficit. When I did this liquid diet in 2002, I was 550 pounds and I think I was went to 600 calories a day. And that is just an, it's, it's an insane deficit. And so, you know, it's not something I really think is appropriate for a lot of people who don't have massive. Now, look, if you want to, I think I, I heard a doctor say that they considered anything a hundred pounds or more to be massive weight loss. If you want to get down to 200 pounds, you are looking at massive weight loss, but you can, you can, there's a lot of ways to do that. Anyway, I didn't just 
drink water and a protein shake that I got at GNC. It was a whole program. There were lots of weird fiber supplements and vitamins that I took and protein shakes. Now, I don't know if any of that means anything really, but it wasn't just something I threw together. It was a plan with a nutritionist. When I was 10, I did something called OptiFast. I don't know if that exists anymore, but that was a plan that was medically supervised. I think when you're talking about doing something this extreme that you you should you know, be talking to doctors and stuff and make sure that you're, you're, that all, all your systems can, can take it because it isn't easy on your body to do that. You're starving yourself so severely that, that it's just not, it's not easy on your body. This is, you know, I would not just recommend you want to lose a massive amount of weight, you know, go to 600 liquid calories a day max tomorrow and drink lots of water. Like I, I, I think that that's very irresponsible. So I wouldn't hodgepodge it together myself, and I I hope I don't seem like a Debbie Downer to you. I apologize if I do. That's just my perspective on that. Thank you for the question. I hope that was helpful at all, even if it was frustrating. I apologize, but that's what I think. If you have a question that you would like me to answer on this show, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>